Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing the love of Christ, showing the love of Christ, and by inviting others to be recipients of His amazing love. Now here is this week's message. I'm going to start with a question, and again, I realize I took a really long time with all the announcements and stuff, but that, that hopefully you guys feel informed and all of that stuff, but uh, let me start with a question. Anyone have a, a best friend growing up, if you did, raise your hand. Don't raise your hand yet. Okay. Best friend growing up, uh, who you did everything together with, and sometimes you may have gotten in a little bit of trouble with them. Anyone had best friend, everything with? Got in trouble with, all right, cool. Um, you guys didn't have your hand up? Is that because your father's in the room? Is that, okay, never mind. All right, okay, so here, here's the thing, here's the thing. Um, this also, how many people had a best friend that your family didn't like? Like, oh yeah, they, okay, yes, and now the hand goes up, all right. Uh, so here's the thing, here's what I want to look at today, really quick, short amount of time. Um, we're continuing through 1 Samuel, and we're going to see that, we're going to see that kind of friendship, best friend, locked together, arm in arm, you know, movies are made about type of friendship, which was great. We're gonna also going to see a friendship where the father was like, I hate that dude. But we're also going to see just, and, and there's a lot that we could talk about when you're going through, you know, First, Second Samuel, but because it's Father's Day as we finish it out, I wanted to highlight some of the just worst parenting in the Bible. I mean, it's, it's just really bad. So uh, if you have a Bible, open it up to First Samuel chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a chair one under the chair, uh, to the left of you, to the right of you, to the front of you, and back of you. If not, just raise your hand. We'll have uh, someone bring you one, because I want you to see not making this stuff up. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Now, this is right after David killed Goliath, which we talked about last week. He cut off his head, grabbed, took Goliath's sword, which is probably about the size of him, and then he goes into the tent of Saul, who's the king, and Saul's like, who are you? I mean, I never seen you like this before, and he's like, hey, it's me, it's David, son of Jesse, I play the harp, not the harp, that's, the, what is that again, that's the fiddle, okay, the harp, yeah, I play the harp for you, which I've never played, he's like, I'm that same guy, verse uh, 1 of chapter 18, says, after David had finished talking with Saul, so this is right after that, not weeks or days, this is moments later, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. That word, one in spirit, that phrase means one in spirit, but in bound or knit together by love. And a lot of people look at the David-Jonathan relationship and try to make it, you know, sexual or something. There wasn't anything sexual about it because he was bound in him. Remember, when David became king, God said, hey, David, you're going to be king, and he had him anointed in front of his brothers and family, and although he had some family issues, uh, God filled him with his Holy Spirit. So now Jonathan becomes one in spirit with David. Not just David's spirit, but the Holy Spirit. And he loves him as himself because, remember, that's what Jesus says. We're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. Here's the thing. Even our enemies, even those who are going to replace your job, because Jonathan was the son of Saul. He was like the crown prince, heir to the throne of Israel. But he looked at David, and he was like, I get it. I get why God chose you, and I love you. And what we're going to see in the next verse, it says, for verse 2, from that day Saul kept David with him, didn't let him return to his father's house. So uh, Saul had this, like, uh, internship, not paid, 
but all his food and stuff was provided for, where he was no longer living at home. So the only father figures in his life, Jonathan, who's probably in about his 30s, mid-30s, Saul, who's probably in his 50s, maybe 60s. And the only people kind of showing him, hey, what's a good father look like? Because he's about 15. He's still in his impressionable teenage years are one person, Jonathan, who loves him. Loves him. And the other person, Saul, who grows to hate him with a passion. Verse 3 says, And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And then Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing, gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. And this isn't just a friendship, here you can have my stuff thing. You know how, like friends, you exchange stuff and, and... Guys, we don't wear each other's stuff, but you're like, yeah, you can use my stuff or whatever. Uh, This was him taking off his robe, which was the robe that he wore as the crown prince, his tunic, his weapons. And we talked a while ago about the fact that the only people that had weapons, like swords, uh, because the Philistines had oppressed them so much, they didn't let them use weapons. They had to go down to a Philistine area in order to just sharpen their plows. So Jonathan... And David, not David, Jonathan and Saul, and maybe one or two of the other Saul's sons were really the only ones with swords. So when Jonathan takes off his royal robe, his tunic, and his weapons, and he hands them to David, he's acknowledging, I'm not the one who should be king. You're the one who should be king. You're the one who should be ruling. And he's submitting to him, right? And he's doing it because it's one thing, loving neighbors as yourself, that's great, but also putting God's will before your own. Like, yeah, I want to keep this job. I want to keep my role as king. I want to keep whatever. But if God says, yeah, this is the way things need to go, then we as the people of God, if we're submitting to God and his sovereignty, then we say, yeah, that's the way that everything should go. Now, here's, here's this. Um, as their relationship, as their relationship, that was not tongue, sorry, that was me stuttering. As their relationship grew closer, Jonathan's relationship with his father grew more distant. David and Jonathan came like like best buddies, best friends. Love one another, do anything for you. Jonathan and his father, more distant, more dysfunctional. David and this father figure in his life, their relationship became violent and dangerous, right? And, and, And here's the thing, David ends up, marrying one of Saul's daughters, because Saul says, hey, you know what, I'm going to put you in charge of my army. A couple of years later, he's no longer 15, probably 17, 18, put you in charge of my army, since, you know, everyone's singing about your praises and how good a soldier you are. And the reason he did this, he says, hey, you know what, I'll do that and give you my daughter's hand in marriage. But in order to marry my daughter, like the princess, so to speak, You've got to keep going out and fighting as the head of my army and defending the nation of Israel. And David thinks, that's an awesome thing. At first, he's like, I don't deserve to marry your daughter. You're the king. She's a princess. But he's like, no, you're doing great. Just continue to honor us by fighting for Israel. And everyone thinks, oh, that makes sense. But Saul is thinking, I'm going to, kind of like, you can marry my daughter if you lead the armies. And he literally says, because I want him dead, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to let the enemy do it. And then years later, we're not there yet, but we're going to read years later, when David sins with Bathsheba, how many people remember what he does to her husband? He says, I'm not going to kill him. 
I'm going to put him in charge of the army, put him at the front, send him right into the heat of battle, and let him die. And sometimes we don't think that our bad parenting things that we do impact our children because we don't see it right away, but they see it, they remember it, and then they go live it out. And here's, 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 here's just another thing. Using your children to further your goals and get back at your enemies, that's just bad parenting. That, that just doesn't make any sense. And I say using your children, but literally what he did was, and excuse my language, was pimp out his daughter in order to get back at what he thought was an enemy. And that is the epitome of bad parenting. Jump over to chapter 20. Right in chapter 20, drop down to verse 24. So David is out in the field, and he and Jonathan, he's like, hey, Jonathan, your dad hates me. He's like, no, dude, we're friends. He loves you. You're wrong. And so they come up with a scheme. Here's how we're going to test this out and see. So David hid in the field, and when the New Moon Festival came, the king sat down to eat. He sat in his customary place by the wall opposite Jonathan. Abner sat next to Saul, but David's place was empty. Verse 26, Saul said nothing that day, for he thought something must have happened to David to make him ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. Surely he is unclean. And there was a Levitical law that said, hey, if you're taking in practice of an offering or a feast, if you're unclean, you weren't allowed to participate. And so he's thinking, oh, that's what happened to David. But then the next day, the second day of the month, David's place was empty again. Saul said to his son Jonathan, why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? And Jonathan answered, David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go because our family is observing a sacrifice in the town. My brother has ordered me to be there. If I have found favor in your eyes, let me go see my brothers. That's why he's not there. So they came up with this excuse. And they said, hey, if, if, if Saul gets really mad, he wants me dead. If he says, oh, okay. He's gone, he's missing, he has the legitimate excuse, no problem. Then he doesn't want me dead. Verse 30, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, and stop there for a minute, because that's not kind of like a, to us it doesn't sound bad, but to us, if you hear people say that today, it's son of a blah, blah, blah. Actually, one blah, son of a blah. But that's literally what he's saying. So he's not only cursing at his son, He's disrespecting his wife out of anger towards David. He says, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. And that's the heart of what was important to him, hanging on to his legacy rather than promoting God. He says, now send and bring him to me, for he must die. Jonathan said, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. And then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Now, now, kudos to Jonathan, because have you ever had, don't raise your hand, especially if they're in the room, had a parent throw something at you? Because my mother has thrown things at me. Biggest thing was a shoe. Okay? And when she threw the shoe at me, it was because of a girl. When she threw the shoe at me, my thought wasn't, wow, she's really mad at the girl. But Jonathan, his dad just threw a spear at him. Not a shoe, uh, not a book, not an iPad, not, 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 you know, go bigger and bigger. Um, he threw a spear at him, which isn't going to just hit him in the head. And we're told he did it to kill him. And the first thing that Jonathan thinks is, David's in danger, right? 
that shows you the love that he had for David. It wasn't like, hey, I got to protect myself. His thing was, hey, David is in danger. And then, uh, here's the other thing. Where's where's he said? Uh, Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. So let let me backtrack a minute because Saul's hatred for David. And it's one thing, you know, we all have people in the world we're not fond of. Be human, people we may not like, co-workers we may not get along with, family members, whatever. But because of his hatred for David, it made him curse at his son, try to kill his son, pimp out his daughter, and disrespect his wife. At some point, if you're that angry or you're that frustrated and it's impacting your family that much, you should probably get help. Because if you're, if, if you're, and I've done this, if you're putting your career, I want to stay king, I want this job ahead of your family, that's bad. And I, I've done that before. Uh, Christie's old roommate used to complain to Christy about me because every time I would go pick up the kids from Christian school, I was always on the phone dealing with a work call or whatever. I wouldn't stop and say, you know, what they talk about, how did school go? I would just say, yeah, let's get in the car and keep going. Got busy until one day, I think it was on New Year's, and I was asking Brandon, what's your New Year's resolution? I have no recollection of what he said other than when he asked me what mine was, I said, I don't know, and he said, maybe yours should be to not work so much because you spend a whole lot of time at work. And he didn't say, you're abandoning me, or you're not focusing on me, or you're not paying attention on me, but that's what I heard. And that's what made me say, okay, I've I've gotta make some changes to the point where in future jobs that I took, I had family members criticize me because they said, you could have taken jobs that made way more money. And I was like, yeah, but they would cost way more time. And I'm not willing to go down that route again. So putting your career ahead of your family is bad. But when you put your family at risk, when you put them in danger, that is unacceptable. If, if, if you're a, a, and here's the thing, because there's two sides of that. There's the you know, father or mother or parent who is putting their kids in danger. They need help. I'm not saying I'm a perfect father. I'm not saying anyone is. But I'm saying if that's where you are, you need help. If you're the family member who is being put at risk and your excuse is, well, they keep doing it, but they love me, that is not love. And if you really love them, then you need to get out of that situation so they can get help because they're not going to get help as long as you continue to allow them to do it. That, that, that's not a biblical thing. That's not a godly thing. That is a, hey, I love you enough that I'm going to get out of this so that you can get the help that you need. All right? Now, uh, sorry, let me finish. Uh, now, Saul used his daughter, pimped out his son, all of those things. Uh, David saw this, right? And after this incident, David runs. And he spends, he's somewhere 15, 18-ish years old, maybe in his 20s. He spends the next rest of his young adult life on the run from Saul, running from him and hiding from him. Later on, when he becomes a parent, uh, he's going to have so many just parenting issues that that we're going to talk about in 2 Samuel because of this, because of this time of his life, because the father figure in his life 
just, just made so many mistakes and wouldn't stop and say, I need help, or wouldn't stop and say, I need God, but just persisted to the point where, to the point where, um, at these personal interactions where Saul did catch up with him and David could have killed him, he didn't because he still held him in his highest name as one, you're the king, two, God puts you there, and three, you're still a father figure to me. Uh, so I'm going to, the uh, rest of the verses I'm going to throw up on screen uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 24. Um, and this is um, at a cave. David is on the run. He's hiding way back in this cave. Saul hears he's there. Saul brings about 3,000 men on a hunt for him. And David's got about maybe 100 people with him, maybe 300, I forget. Uh, and they're way back in this cave. Saul stops to use the bathroom at this cave. And David crawls up, unbeknownst to him, cuts off a piece of his robe, and then once Saul leaves and goes out of the cave, then David says, hey, this day you have seen my own eyes. He yells to him from a safe distance. You have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. And then he says, see my father. Because that's how he still looked at him. Look at the piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of the robe, but I didn't kill you. He says, because I still see you as his father figure. I still have respect for you. I have done nothing wrong. And then Saul says, oh, you're right. You've done nothing wrong. You're, you're safe. I'm not going to kill you. Someday you're going to be king. I have to accept that. And he moves on, goes home, gets angry, <laughs> goes off on his family, goes back on the hunt for David. But this time, uh, David finds them and sees them camped out. And David uh, and one of his uh, men, uh, they see them camped out. Uh, and they, and, and uh, the guy, Abishai, says, hey, he's, this, God has put him in your hands. Go down and kill him now. End this time on the run. End this time living in the woods. But David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Nobody can raise his hand against Adonai's anointed without becoming guilty. And this is the complete Jewish Bible version because some other versions say without becoming guiltless or without doing harm. But the Hebrew language says, hey, without becoming guilty. Because now I'm doing the same thing that he's doing. I'm trying to hunt down someone who God desires to use for his purposes. And then he says this, David then added, as Adonai lives, he says, God's going to strike him down. God will take care of this. It's not my job to end his life. Uh, maybe God will take him out in battle, sweep him away. But he says, Lord, Adonai, and that word Adonai means Lord God. The Lord God forbid that I should raise my hand against Adonai's anointed. He says, but take the spear. He does the same thing. They sneak down. They take a spear and a jug, and he comes back from a safe difference and says, hey, look, Saul. I could have killed you again, but I didn't. Why are you chasing me? We're supposed to be family. I'm not trying to, to end your life. Why are you trying to end mine? And he also gives him a tip. He says, your security sucks because I just crawled down into your camp. And I got your jug and your spear from out of your bed. So, you know, you need to fire that guy. But then David, again, spends the rest of his life on the run. And this impacts David. Not only does it impact David because David's on the run and he makes bad father decisions, it impacts Jonathan, because Jonathan stays with him. Jonathan stays with the father who, who, who um, makes horrible decisions and, and is, for lack of a better term, consumed with his career 
over the welfare of his family. And again, just like us, we make, sometimes we make bad parenting decisions and we don't see how they impact our kids. But here's the thing, we can't let our bad parenting decisions, whether it be father or whether it be mother, see, on Mother's Day you have to preach uplifting, yay, you're a good mom. On Father's Day, preach, dude, we gotta get it together. We, 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 we need to step into the place where we're no longer letting our bad parenting decisions impact how we father. Whether it be with our kids, or if like mine, your kids are grown, still impact them, or, and this is great, hey, you know what? I know some kids who don't have a father. and Maybe I can step in and be a father to them and help impact their life so that they don't make the mistakes that some of us have made, right? Ah, so then Jonathan says, hey, I'm going to stick with him. Jonathan ends up, and this is just as bad, dying with his father. Uh, the book of 1 Samuel ends this way. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them. Many fell dead on Mount Gilboa. The next day when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. They cut off his head stripped off his armors, sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news in the temple of their idols and among their people. They were like, we have won. And it wasn't because they overcame the army. It wasn't because they were better uh, at strategy or at fighting. It was because the person who was supposed to lead Israel in a godly way and lead his family in a godly way just took everything in a totally other direction. And there's a lot of us, you know, that, that we're fathers, we're trying to do it right, we may not be perfect, but if we trust in God as our Heavenly Father, I guarantee you that he's going to help us make those course corrections where we need to. Because he's going to send his Holy Spirit into us and say, hey, Floyd, you know what? Um, um, you, you, you literally suck at this. So let me step, step in and help you. You haven't been getting this right. Let me step in and help you. You haven't been the father that your kids need. Let me step in and help you. And if you ask my kids today, they'll probably say, no, he's not the greatest dad. But he tries. And every single day, every single interaction, every single time, it's like, God, help me, help, help me do this again. Got to admit, didn't have a father. Couldn't turn back to the book of A, B, C, D. Here's what my father did. But I have a heavenly father who I can turn to every day and say, hey, help me do this right. And throughout the rest of the Bible, wall of verses coming. We are going to finish in a few minutes. Wall of verses coming. Throughout the rest of the Bible, God sends people to the nation of Israel to say, hey, I'm not just this God who gives you these things to do. I am your heavenly father. He sends Isaiah the prophet, famous verse everyone knows. He said, God is going to come down. He's going to be among you because you're going to say, a child is born, a son is given. Government shall be on his shoulders. He'll be called counselor, mighty God, but also everlasting father. And then you get to the book of Matthew, and Jesus, you guys remember, Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking to them, and he says, hey, guess what? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather, yet your heavenly Father, he feeds them. He provides for them. He knows what they need. And then a few verses down, he says, he does the same thing to you. The Gentiles, they wish for and crave diligently. They seek all these things, but your heavenly Father knows well that you need them all. 
God doesn't just want to step in and be a father to us because he thinks he knows what he needs. He actually knows how to do it. He is the only one on the planet who can say, I've got this thing down. I know exactly what you need. Then you get to the book of Luke, and in the book of Luke, uh, uh, Luke tells us in chapter 11, he says, "If this is Jesus talking to the crowd. If you then, evil as you are, know how to give good gifts, gifts that are to their advantage to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask and continue to ask him? Now it's not just God saying, hey, I know what you need. I can feed you. I can clothe you. I can take care of you. I can provide shelter for you. He says, I can give you something no other father on the planet can. My Holy Spirit. Jesus, who is God, Son of God in the flesh, tells us that the Heavenly Father God wants to give us literally God. And he says, hey, this is what I'm offering to you, that type of father. It doesn't just say I'm going to tell you what to do, but I'm going to come down and I'm going to be with you. And then you get to the book of Acts, and you guys remember in Acts where they were all praying after Jesus had ascended, and this wasn't years later or decades later, 10 days after Jesus said, hey, go and wait for this gift, the Holy Spirit fell on them. And people said, what's going on? You guys are speaking in weird languages. You're drunk. And they're like, no, dude, this is what we were promised. God pouring out his Holy Spirit on us. Our Heavenly Father doing what he said and providing for us. And then Paul comes along who was probably, he was like the Neil deGrasse Tyson of the Bible. Anyone know who Neil deGrasse Tyson is? Okay, never mind. Skip that. Okay. He's, 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 he's. Never mind, skip that. He was like the, the, the I don't have a word then, uh, but he was just like this walking uh, knowledge of the Old Testament and what it meant, but he had a misconstrued view of it until he had this interaction with Jesus. And even after his interaction with Jesus, he said, I got to go back and read this thing again. And he spent three years studying the Old Testament to say, how could I have missed this? And then came back saying, yeah, this is real. Jesus is God. And he tells the church in Rome, which is full of people from every race and creed and culture and political persuasion, he says, for the spirit which you have now received is not a spirit of slavery to put you once more in bondage to fear. You've received the spirit of adoption, produ producing sonship, where you can cry, Abba, Father. That for, and maybe you have this term for your father, your grandfather, Papa, Pappy, this term of endearment and love. And he says, because God put his spirit in you, that's the relationship you now have with God. Where you can look at him as not just, you know, God who's like the, the fearful God overrunning all or the fearful God who, who destroys all or the fearful God who does anything. But that's my pap. That, that's my papa. That's my loving father. And then he writes this last verse to the church in Galatia. He says, make no mistake about it, just in case you didn't understand. He says, God's Holy Spirit in you, that is your sign, that is your seal, that you are his sons. You're his children. That he can be a heavenly father to you. Not just in a spiritual sense, like you think, yeah, we're all children of God, but in the actual relational for eternity sense, that he is your father and you are his son. So I'm going to close out with, with prayer. Again, apologize for going along. Close out with prayer. And I want to pray, for, again, for all those who are, who are seeking a father, maybe those who didn't have a father, but also for all those who 
are still trying to be a good father. So God, we lift up all those who are seeking a father to you. Maybe they didn't have one in their life, or maybe they were abandoned by one. And we pray that they would find you and acknowledge you as a heavenly father who can provide for them, who can love on them, who can meet their needs, who fills them with your Holy Spirit so that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt from that point forward for all of eternity that they are yours, your children, your sons, and your daughters. But God, I also want to pray for those of us who are just trying to get this father thing right. We're just trying to, to, to raise our children in a God-honoring way. We're trying to make sure that they're good citizens. We're trying to make sure that they know that we love them. But also, I pray that we are trying to make sure that they know that you love them as well. That we raise them in a way that is pleasing to you. We raise them in a way that lets them know that there is a God who loves them, who cares about them, and who sent his son to die on the cross for them so that they would never, ever have to be separated from them. So that they would know, as we just said, beyond a shadow of a doubt, free all of eternity, that they are your children. God, we pray that you would help us make right decisions, help us make right choices, help us show and tell our children how much we love them, but also allow us to show and tell them how much you love them as well. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen.